situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines. It's April 30th. I'm your host for today, Harrison Cayley. Joining me in the real life and virtual studios, we've got Elon Martin. Hello, everyone. Joe Quinn. Hi there. And Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. Today, we will continue our coverage of the Trump phenomenon and the deep state Title of our show today, Facts Intrude on the Reality Creators, the Rapid Decline of the American Empire. So it's been 100 days of Trump's meteoric rise to power in the United States and the world. And there have been several, you know, 100-day retrospectives because the first 100 days, I guess, is uh, when everything's supposed to get done, which is completely um, unrealistic. But we've seen um, two kind of contrasting narratives. You've got the one coming from Trump himself on the 100th day. His administration put out a list of you know all Trump's great accomplishments in the past 100 days, which included something like uh, 70 foreign calls or 70 calls with foreign leaders and all the executive orders he signed and securing the border and, uh, you know, apparently the stock market's doing great. And he, oh, and the one... One of his foreign policy achievements, um, I don't have it in front of me, so I can't quote it directly right now, but he was successful in isolating Russia and, I believe, Iran um, due to his um, negotiating with uh, Xi Jinping. So he essentially said that he was he uh, isolated Russia with the help of uh, his great skills <laughs> with dealing with China, which was pretty funny because it's totally not true. But... There is also the contrasting narrative of all the people and all the articles coming out saying, oh my God, look what happened. It only took Trump 100 days to totally, you know, get flushed down the toilet. And um, the biggest, well, probably the biggest and most noticeable way in which, um, you know, you can see that happening is in foreign policy. Because, of course, Trump campaigned on a kind of non-interventionist, um, you know, American nationalist America first, let's, you know, not invade on other countries, not regime change, and uh, focus on America's problems. And we have seen, well, but on the other hand, he also promised to, quote, like, kick ISIS's ass. And so we've seen um, increased um, operations in Yemen. We, of course, saw the strike on the Syrian government, Syrian Air Force, and there's the Battle of Mosul going on in Iraq. And, of course, now, the last couple of weeks, what's been in the news? North Korea. So there is all kinds of kind of um, war rhetoric and uh, threats being made. And, you know, it's really kind of got people on the edges of their seat because probably, you know, before the election, the big worry was Russia. But, I mean, was anyone really worried that... You know, Russia was going to attack the U.S. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. 
But now apparently, it's, it's funny watching it because now North Korea is in the news and everyone's kind of terrified of that crazy guy, Kim Jong-un. So we're going to get into that today and see what's really going on and how the pesky reality and facts, whatever those are, are intruding on the dream of the new American century. So with that said, Mm -hmm. where do we want to start? Well, um, just on that one point of uh, Trump effectively isolating Russia, uh, there there is some positive, uh, if we want to be optimistic, truth in that, in the sense that he has, um, in in, uh, alienating Russia further to the extent that he has, kind of defanged uh, a lot of the uh, media and uh, deep state political machinations trying to associate Trump with Russia. Uh, so, you know, with, with Putin's statement some weeks back about um, Russia and the U.S. being at this low point uh, in its relations, even though there was some limited kind of communication about um uh, cooperation and, and uh, military advising uh, in regards to Syria, uh, you know, you now have the, the facts on the ground are that, in fact, Trump is not in good terms with Russia at all. Uh, so, you know, that was a that was a very big political hurdle to get over, and um, you know, the the hope again this is just being optimistic, is that it gives him a space, some breathing room to follow through on any kind of uh, real uh, international policy that he ran on in his, uh, in his campaign. Uh, whether or not that's still a possibility or whether or not that's still kind of a behind-the-scenes intention of his is, is something that we can now debate a little more strongly, though. So, considering that Trump is acting uh, kind of militaristic these days. Well, if, if I, that's... Go ahead. I don't think that's an achievement. Yeah. I think and he's a goner, basically. That's mm-hmm. it. Another he, lame duck president. Um, I don't see any way back at this point. Um, we held it open for him for a while, but... It was a strange week, you know. <clears throat> the false flag chemical weapons attack... The next day, he's got the King of Jordan in the White House. On the White House lawn, he says, Syria has crossed many, many red lines. Yes. Um, next day, airstrike. A weird one, of course, because it was so bad or intercepted. We're not sure which. Um, and so ineffective, militarily speaking. But nevertheless, the world held its breath for World War Three, And then within 24 hours, his, someone's leaking to the press in the U.S. that they're going after North Korea in one of three ways. Um, and it was strange because the world held its breath over Syria, and but then the focus shifted quite rapidly. And now it's been almost fully at an international level on North Korea, yeah, which it all speaks to an agenda and basically his folding to that agenda it may do or it may not if i could take the uh, the opposing view or possibly opposing view that uh, and be a holdout for trump <laughs> i'm gonna still stump for trump he's still my president 
Good luck on that ship. I'm leaving it off. <laughs> what ship? Bye. Oh, good ship. Sail off Trumpy into pop. the new American century. I'll be I'll be living it up in the new American century, and you'll all be back in the third world. On your world your, cruise. your gruel and your communist gulags. <laughs> uh, no, being a bit more serious about it. Um, I, I I think it's interesting that, um, as Neil was saying, that the focus shifted to North Korea. And I understand that some people might be um, people with extremely short uh, attention spans or, or memories uh, might think, oh, what's this with North Korea? This is serious. What's going on here? Um, there was a movie made in 2004, that's uh, 13 years ago now, called Team America, uh, when North Korea, I wish we had some clips to play from it. Uh, it's a very good movie, very uh, intellectual, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not very intellectual, but it has it has some, uh, it has a lot of uh, people who don't know what the movie is. It's a kind of puppet movie, like instead of Thunderbirds, if anybody remembers Thunderbirds or puppet you know, Thunderbirds are go. Uh, anyway, and it's basically Lampoon's the whole war and terror basically. It's made by the two guys who do South Park. Um, so, um, but in that movie, uh, part of the lampooning was of, of uh, Kim Jong-il, the current North Korean. No, his father. Uh, yeah, the, the current North Korean uh, dictator's yeah. father. Uh, so, point being that the North Korean thing has been on the go for more than 13 years. Uh, North Korea has been part of the acts of evil, the fabled acts of evil way back when, um, which was Iraq, Iran, and North Korea, um, back in 2003, 2002. So um, North Korea isn't new, just newsflash for everybody. It's North Korea being a boogeyman and, you know, saber rattling over North Korea's, uh, you know, nuclear weapons uh, program or their, their threat to the civilized world is all just boring extremely boring and really those who don't remember that should try and pay attention you know and keep up it's, it's just nonsense so um but what's interesting is that the focus has shifted from syria to north korea very quickly and all this right i mean and to that extent you can see it all as a load of nonsense basically it's pure theater effectively uh, designed to keep the masses keep the people uh, on edge effectively and feeling insecure and in the words of the chancellor in um in the movie movie V for Vendetta, uh, it's it's an attempt by the leaders of the free world, uh, that's you know Western Europe and America mostly, uh, to remind the people of those countries why they need us, i.e., why you all we all need our leaders. Well, we need them to keep us safe against the threat or any any bogus threat that they care to come up with. You know, so. It's interesting that the focus for me then was taken away from Syria and onto full spotlight put onto North Korea, um, as if uh, the Trump administration was effectively putting Syria Syria on the back burner, um, and that there's a certain, let's say, policy change or strategy change towards Syria, which uh, may still be in line with what was said. Uh, just before those tomahawk, tomahawk cruise missile strike on the Syrian airfield a couple of few weeks ago, uh, which was said by uh, uh, Rex Tillerson and Nikki Haley, uh, the the U.S. ambassador to the UN, both of them said that the, the Trump administration in America was no longer interested 
in removing Assad. Uh, we were wondering at the time why this sudden switch around. Suddenly, on the one hand, they're saying that they're playing uh, a new game, playing kind of soft on Syria now, and then suddenly they, they fire these tomahawks missiles. But then we said it was, we realised it was very, you know, an ineffective military strike against Syria. Didn't do anything. And a couple of days later, you had Rex Tillerson saying to telling Lavrov, Lavrov quoting Rex Tillerson, saying that he got assurances from the US that this wouldn't happen again. Um, and then, like we've been saying, within a few weeks or less than a few weeks, within a week almost, suddenly North Korea is front and center. So Syria is put in the back burner. But there's obviously still stuff going on in Syria. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit. But I think it's just interesting that the focus has been shifted to North Korea. I don't think it's serious. Uh, I think it's mostly theater to, like I said, keep everybody distracted and on edge and looking to their leaders for, for protection. But just on the... There's another thing I thought about uh, when we were thinking at the time, what happened to those cruise missiles. I mean, the Russians said that only 29 of them, or 23 of them, or 59 actually hit their target. The rest disappeared or went missing. Maybe they did. Um, but then the question was, were they, maybe they were shot down. I'm not sure. I'm, I was just thinking that I don't think they were shot down. What I think happened, and then we were wondering about why they weren't shot down or why there was no attempt to made shot, shoot them down. But I think that may have been an attempt. Uh, one possibility is that, that it was an attempt to identify where um, Syrian and possibly Russian or uh, mm-hmm. Russian and or Syrian uh, anti, anti-missile or anti-aircraft defense systems are mm-hmm. in Syria. Yeah, because so, the, there was a recent story just a, a day or two ago talking about Syria's... Um, kind of military strategy overall. And one of the points that was made is that apparently it's official, like Syrian military um, policy, to um, to not use their air defense systems um, in anything but a total war. So, right. And that's what they did in, with the war uh, with Israel um, back, when was it? Right. 70-something? 70, 70 and... And so anything else they see as, uh, you know, um, basically the cost of doing business, they're willing to take small strikes, um, small attacks in order to, to, um, prevent the knowledge of where all their, you know, anti-missile defense systems are located. So it would Mm -hmm. only be in the case of like uh, a full-on invasion or attack that they would even use them. So in that case, the the Russians, you know, might have a similar strategy. They see these fifty nine tomahawks. Mm-hmm. They know where they're where they're going because the you know the the U S military told them. They say, okay, well, it's not worth uh, it's not worth the effort. Essentially, it's not worth giving up mm-hmm. you know that kind of intelligence. And it looks like it's a one off thing. So we're just gonna you know ride it out. So yeah, I think that mm-hmm. makes sense too. And the other component to yeah. that would seem to be you know Syria. Uh, and Russia, in so many instances, not allowing themselves to get goaded into a larger war, mm-hmm. which uh, the narrative would be easily spun by Western media uh, to put all the blame on, on Syria and or Russia. Uh, so they're very wisely kind of biding their time and, uh, you know, taking these little hits uh, mm-hmm. but by, you know, wisely playing the long game and, and not allowing themselves to react and, and get drawn in into something that, uh, that they, you know, that they don't want to get drawn into. 
Well, and you see the same kind of dynamic has played out in the Donbass in Ukraine because, I mean, the the Ukrainians are trying trying to goad you know Russia into a real in, invasion for you know since the very beginning um, of the you know the civil war in the East Ukraine there, and what you saw was that whenever there was kind of a big um, you know provocation or a big assault on the on the part of the the volunteer you know neo Nazi battalions in the Ukrainian army, the Russians would never directly respond but there are all kinds of hints that they responded in a kind of um well asymmetrical way by Mm -hmm. by supplying you know new types of weapons to the the donbass militias or there was even um you know even in the the pro-russian like blogosphere and analysis online i can't remember when it was um it was like end of 2014 or somewhere in 2015 where um, everyone was saying that the Russians had actually launched um, these certain types of um, missiles. I don't know what you know what kind they were um, from uh, Russian territory, basically across the Donbas to um, to take out these you know certain military you know hardware that was stationed at the front line. And mm-hmm. so, of course, the Russians denied it. But even the you know the, all the pro-Russian military bloggers were saying, "Oh yeah, our guys did it," and you know there's nothing that they can do about it because they can't prove it anyways. So there's this kind right. of there's always there always seems to be this kind of uh, yeah covert secretive response that doesn't get a lot of media attention. And that's the way the Russians mm-hmm. seem to operate militarily is they don't they don't care about media attention. They don't care about having their you know their their victories or their successes publicized. And mm-hmm. that that even um, plays into how they portray their military. So the Russians, of course, you know, just like any other country, they'll, um, you know, play up their military and how great it is. But when you, when you look at the, like their arms systems, you never, like people in the West don't know really what the, the Russians military capabilities are, what their latest, you know, military systems are, because the Russians don't make, don't make a big deal out of them. It's only pretty much after the fact that you finally find out about it. Like when those first caliber missiles were launched in Syria, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. who would ever heard of a caliber missile before and even like knew Mm -hmm. that the Russians had this kind of technology or the, Mm -hmm. the, um, like the electronic warfare devices, like you kind of hear rumors about it, but it was only after the the Khan Sheikhoun and the and the attack on the Shirat military base that just you know Russia happens to put out this little promo like video and I don't know if it's a PDF or something showing all their electronic warfare and what they can do. Oh, and they just happen to mm-hmm. be able to to work against cruise missiles, and no one mm-hmm. knew that before. So it's kind of that's that's just kind of it, it's totally at odds with the way the the Americans portray their military, where every new oh, yeah. you know gadget they have they play it up. Like mm-hmm. above what it what it actually is capable of. Like just look at the mm-hmm. you know Patriot missile defense or you know that what F thirty five. Like it's always the best on the planet and the best that's ever been made. And we're gonna mm-hmm. you know when it's anything but the truth and they're just kind of blowhards. Yeah, yeah because as I've said on <laughs> as I said as we said on previous shows, um, a major part of American uh, influence in the world and ability to to influence other countries is is the threat or the reputation that America has as a as an unequaled military power in the world. So to that end they it serves it has served their interests in the past to trump trump or to tout their uh, uh their military prowess and, and put it on display, you know, and of course uh, in various um, US invasions of different countries people 
anybody who's interested got a lot of um, opportunity to see that military uh, uh, in in action and take notes. Um, so, and of course, in the case of Russia and probably China, not just take notes, but take notes and then develop systems to counteract it quietly. Um, and I think in Syria over the past couple of years, the U.S. Uh, got a an unpleasant, several maybe unpleasant surprises about the extent of Russian the Russian military capability in terms of electronic warfare. That was um, why people like John McCain and all the warmongers in the U.S. were so were so hard, um, depressed basically over the past eighteen months or two years since Russia have been, has been in uh, in Syria uh, because they could do nothing. You know, uh, the Russians apparently effectively locked down a big part of Syrian airspace. And the Americans only flew at Russian pleasure, basically, or flew under under threat. Um, so, yeah, it's a... Uh, and yet, the Americans are probably poised to take about half of the country territory-wise. Well, it's early, though. Everything east of the Euphrates. Um, no. No. Not really, no. I mean, that's... Um, that seems to be happening. I mean, there are more and more troops, U.S. troops there. Well, troops are moving in, and there's an attempt going on. And that's, that's what I think may be going on in terms of Plan B. The Trump administration may be allowing or, or focusing on Plan B. They may actually be holding true to the words of uh, Rex Tillerson and Nikki Haley that basically they, they aren't interested. They've given up on, on any ideas of, of defeating the Syrian military and getting rid of Assad. And they're focusing now on trying to do what they've done in other countries which is kind of well, the term balkanize or break up the country at least into one or two parts uh, and their focus now seems to be on uh, Kurdistan but the problem with, with creating a Kurdistan is that as we've been saying all along uh, and while most other people who are commenting on this from our perspective are have always been have been very critical of Erdogan and the Turks uh, we haven't really taken that approach because we've been seeing the, the kind of maybe behind the scenes a little more, not just you know in, engaging or indulging in knee-jerk reactions or, or media propaganda against the Turks. Because the problem for America right now is that and it's it's very current in terms of today and and yesterday. There's been um, there's been kind of potential clashes or, or a threat of clashes between American and Turkish forces. On the um, on the Turkish border, because uh, the Turks have been continuing with their strikes on Kurdish positions in northern Syria uh, and Iraq, because the Turks do not want, and apparently under Erdogan and his new powers are certainly not uh, have no intention of allowing a Kurdistan to be formed in the north of uh, Syria or well, I mean they may. Well, I don't know. I mean, they may allow it in Iraq. They may have not have much choice in Iraq, but um, although they're, they're, they seem intent there as well because there's been Kurdish military in, uh, incursions into Iraq over the past couple of years, uh, but certainly not in Turkish. Or, sorry, Turkish mm. uh, incursions into Iraq over the last, past couple of years, and they're not. Uh, but they're definitely not interested in, in seeing any kind of Kurdistan appear on <laughs> on the on the border. And if it's east, if it's west of the Euphrates. Well, then that's basically uh, Aleppo, govern it up to and up to the border. And it's a pretty small chunk of land. I don't think it's a viable, it's, it's no good to them basically because the Turks couldn't just be hemmed in 
they're west of the Euphrates over to the, to the to the Mediterranean. That would be no good in terms of um, in terms of the size of the country and the influence it would have. Um, <clears throat> so, and of course, the Syrian military are not interested in having the northwestern part of Syria uh, taken away from them. So, I mean, it's just it's a bit of a pipe dream, to be honest. And Turkey and Russia seem to be while they have different reasons, let's say, and, and maybe to some extent com- competing reasons uh, in the region and, and what their plans for it are, they both seem to be on board with this idea of, of, of not allowing the breakup of Syria and allowing, not allowing a Kurdistan, while the Americans are very much trying to push for a Kurdistan. Um, Turkey and Russia have recently been having talks and are in the final stages, Russia is in the final stages of supplying S-400 anti-aircraft missile systems to Turkey. Uh, they've been talking again uh, about uh, the US, um, what is it, Gazprom or Naftogaz, uh, released a statement on the re- rebooted Turkish stream pipeline, which seems to be going ahead. Um, so, you know, that, that, that there's certainly... Uh, a much closer strategic uh, relationship or or reasons for a much closer strategic relationship between Russia and Turkey than there is between Turkey and as a NATO member and the US and the West. Obviously, we've all heard about the the problems between Turkey and Europe and Turkey and the US and uh, that, that doesn't seem to be going away because it's just it's just the practical realities on the ground, you know, as much as you might say, you know, we're, you're a NATO member and you're meant to be, you know, on board with us. Well, Turkey's like, through you, you know, because that means uh, posing a threat to Turkish territorial integrity by the creation of a Kurdistan. Well, then screw your NATO and screw everybody else, you know, and uh, we'll go our own way, basically. And that's what Turkey seems to be uh, under Erdogan. Turkey seems to be intent on doing, which is if necessary, they'll, they'll go their own way and serve Turkish interests first, which isn't uh, doesn't make the Americans happy and you know makes makes the Russians and I suppose the Iranians and the, and the Syrians to some extent uh, happier so so Neil your your point seems to be that um, if you know if uh, if if Trump in the US is acting in any way to uh, follow through on this uh, balkanization plan B in Syria, then it it is in some part kind of following the deep state uh, agenda, and and which must mean that he has you know fallen to the dark side because if if he wasn't following through it it, it would really indicate a, a more um, you know sincere desire on his part to stop with the intervention. It, it, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I mean, at this point, it, you can't separate whatever he might have wanted. We don't know, really. But presumably, you know, not making, messing up the Middle East any more than they already have. You can't discern that Trump's goals from their goal. I mean, their goal is Plan B, say, Kurdistan. Um, he's talking the talk and walking the walk of Plan B. There's apparently masses of U.S. troops uh, in Jordan, preparing, we don't know, for some kind of intervention north into Syria. That's that's an allegation that was unfounded. Okay, it's an allegation that's unfounded. Um, Gordon Duff or something. 
but there are more U.S. troops in the Northeast. They're, just today, they said they've intervened between Tur- Tur- Turkish and Kurdish fighters uh, to prevent what happened a few days ago, where Turkey launched last week. Turkey launched airstrikes against the SDF, which is a U.S. mercenary force, mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The U.S. has major strongholds in northern Iraq. They basically have Iraq. Mosul isn't quote-unquote liberated yet, but um, they can tidy that part of the board up as soon as Syria is looking like it's how they want it. Um, but what, in general, what I would say is that they have made progress in rescuing what two years ago, when Russia intervened in Syria, seemed like a serious problem for them. No, they, no, they've completely failed in what, what before Russia, Russian intervention, it was all of Syria was going to fall, and Assad and the Syrian army was going to be defeated, and there was going to be a U.S. military bombardment or right. bombardment. Of the but far from not being able to do anything and or going home. Well, they can't go home. But that's the thing. They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're there and they're there in greater numbers. Uh, I don't know if they're there in greater numbers or not. It's hard to, hard to tell. But the point is that, I mean, we have to understand, I mean, like Alain, you, you asked the question, you know, of, of Trump, I mean, of, of Trump kind of not making a mess in the Middle East or, 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 or you know, the, his policies of, of scaling back things. Uh, that's not a possibility. People need to be realistic about America and what America is and what it needs to survive. There was never any question that Trump was ever going to uh, <laughs> turn America into the true land of the free and protect. You know what I mean? He, he was never going to... Uh, turn America into the great peacemaker of the world. I mean, that was not a, poss- a possibility and it never was a possibility. There are vital uh, for America's survival. If he's if he's the leader of America and he comes in for a four-year term maybe uh, and he has to, he, he finds that he's got, the, there's, there's facts on the ground, there's a, there's a, a long-term kind of, um, a long history uh, of America, American interests around the world. You can't just turn around and say, okay, Let's just go home, you know. Like I, like, like I've, uh, I've, I've, you know, thought the idea of um, as many people have the idea of, of Yankee go home, the friend of Yankee go home um, would be would be nice, but it's it's not going to happen, you know, it never and never never is going to happen. Um, but so you have to look at it in the content in a more in a more nuanced way uh, if you're going to be able to figure out whether Trump is actually doing something. Uh, that goes against the the kind of policy of all out war and all out American dominance of the world. It, there, but there's no there's no scope, there's no opportunity, there's no chance for America to simply go home, to, for America to simply leave Syria. <clears throat> I mean, America is fighting. At the very the best you can hope for is that Mar- America under Trump would take stock of certain facts and be more realistic about its possibilities of what it can and can't do, mm-hmm. uh, and to and to recognize that some things it cannot do and to not push the world towards a, a World War Three scenario that okay. we've been saying would have happened under Clinton. But that, she, that people like her would not have taken stock of the fact that Russia is in Syria and you cannot do what you want to do in Syria. Now, the, the best you can hope for from Trump is that he would simply take stock of that fact. And not and, bring the world to the brink of World War Three, which is, which is where not where we are. Saying. No, he's not. Huh? Who's at World War Look, look at the discourse out there. But, the, but it's that's all World War Three. Have you not been listening to this show? <laughs> we have been talking you know, but it, about for, for 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 so long that the whole World War Three business is nonsense. We've written articles on it that it's just everybody's 
pooing their pants about World War III, and it's pure propaganda. It's nothing but an attempt to keep the people enthralled to the powers that be. That's effectively the main uh, thrust of, of that agenda, which is to keep people on edge, keep people in a state of insecurity, thinking that World War Three. and our job is to say, calm uh, the hell down, absolutely. everybody. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the masses here, Trump and the masses. He has got them in a situation where they think World War Three is holding that, their breath. But that was before. That was, he means he's doing effectively in their minds. No, but he's having the same result no, as if Clinton was in no, office. No, me, the media is doing that. Absolutely. But he's playing his part. He's saying, yes, okay, NATO's cool. NATO just expanded, just took Montenegro this week. Again, it's polar opposite to what he said. Well, and course. then the things carry on. Now he makes the right statements to Merkel, to the UK. Yes, our special relationship. Yes, Israel, Israel, everything you want, sir. Yeah. In other words, he, he's saying, he would be he's saying the same things as if Hillary Clinton won. Yeah, but he's not doing the same thing. In the same way, and of course, he has to say certain things just like he did when he was campaigning. Anybody who thinks that he was, this is the problem. Anybody who thinks that a, a politician, Trump or anybody, is going to make good on their campaign promises when they're in office doesn't understand politics. So it doesn't happen ever. What is different now than if Hillary Clinton was the president? Well, you don't have World War Three. It would have happened with her. It might have happened. Certainly, uh, there would be a lot more in your face, saber rattling with, with Russia and attempts to screw over Russia left, right and centre at every single opportunity in different parts of the world. You know, uh, well, the, militarily uh, yeah. and, and, and otherwise, you know? For me, I, I can't really separate the American deep state from the British, for example. And this week, the British foreign minister or defence minister was talking openly about um, keeping the option open to launch a first strike nuclear attack yeah, on Russia. Uh, yeah, of course. So, I mean, whether it's well, under a Clinton or Bush or Bush or Trump or whoever, I mean, they, the system is still doing its thing and, you know, it's keeping people in their minds as if we're on the brink. But that's, I mean... That, the results are the same. That's going to happen anyway, but it's it's whether or not it actually... That, that, that rhetoric is going to happen anyway. Uh, and, of course, the Brits saying that it's, they have their own agenda in terms of... Uh, pumping themselves up as the protectors of the people. And I mean, they're pathetic. These elites are basically pathetic. And um, the question here is whether uh, the people in Trump's administration have a slightly different view of it. I mean, of course, if the whole world is, is on that war footing, then Trump's not going to come in and put everything to rights in, in a year or two years or even four years. Uh, because like I said, America has to keep on doing what it's doing. But there is a fine line. There's a red line that you shouldn't cross, which is where you really do create the threat of an actual nu nuclear war if you do you know uh, shirt front too much basically uh, Russia or China look what he's doing with China for example you know, he's having chocolate cake with China and Colin Z the kind of lovely man great guy very respected guy we love him blah 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 and making all these statements these statements are, are very different from the statements that were coming out under under Obama and would have been coming out under Clinton you know it was full on kind of China's evil you know um, no I disagree I think they were very much, um, like, for example, the, there was hysterical reaction when Trump, still as president-elect, um, said he would disregard the one China policy, which is basically where he, you de facto, in, in your speeches, you recognize the sovereignty, a separation of Taiwan from China. Mm -hmm. And this was a, a major faux pas. And he was bashed all over by the liberal media mm -hmm. saying, you know, you don't say that to China. It was confrontational yeah. right out of the bat. Right, but then he backed down on it afterwards, right? Know. 
I think he backed down. And also, if you if you see that the you notice that the whole South China Sea business um, is no longer uh, that South China Sea and Japan are China's evil and, and uh, threats or or rumors of, of war with China not explicit but implied uh, have have kind of gone away as well. There's no more talk about the South China Sea and, and China building its islands in South China Sea and basically controlling that whole area. What they've done now is gone to North Korea. Now you can question what's what's this North Korea business about? Is it? Are you suggesting uh, that's a de-escalation of the potential of a war with China? What North Korea shifting it from focus from the South China Sea to the crazy fat kid in North Korea? Maybe, maybe because it's seen, it, it's on. It's I'm, on just, <laughs> I'm just saying that on the surface, it sure doesn't. <laughs> oh my god! Maybe it's because un, maybe it's understood as not a, as not a, as these indirect threats are not as serious as direct threats. You know, direct references to China uh, and the America, like basically saying in the Chinese Sea, America will um, maintain or retain its right to travel wherever it wants. Like, as in one step away from saying, you know, we're we're willing to confront the Chinese military, Chinese uh, navy in in the South China Sea, that kind of thing. You know, now it's all like not a word about that anymore. But it's North Korea is a threat. Well, uh, there's. There's, a, There's not a lot of being talked about North Korea either from, from the point of view of the Chinese and the Russians, except like China doesn't seem, be saying, seem to be saying very much. Russia's saying, you know, you know, America, stop saying this stuff about North Korea. You're kind of destabilizing it while at the same time saying North Korea should not be, uh, you know, it's almost like Russia at least is the most vocal in this and it's, it's taking a, a, a referee position and saying, now America, if you can just stop saber rattling over North Korea, it doesn't help, you know, you're destabilizing the whole situation, but they're saying also North Korea, you need to don't calm it down here with the, with the, with the rhetoric and the, the saber rattling and the shooting of missiles and stuff. That's no good either, you know? So it's like, mm, yeah, but uh, China this week proposed um, a deal where they would lean on North Korea to back off its nuclear weapons program in yeah. return for the U.S., you know, backing away from these constant war games, yeah, carrying carrying out in in around Japan and South Korea, yeah, and there's a bordering to it right there that never <clears throat> happened before. America doesn't border with anybody, right? Well, I mean, and that's, that's like that sounds that sounds a lot like like Russia and Syria. It does. Russia comes in. Russia comes into Syria and says, "Oh, you don't like uh, Syrian chemical weapons. weapons? We'll take care of them." Mm. Uh, America mm. says, "Oh, uh, America's talking about China, uh, North Korean nukes," and China's like, "Oh." You have a problem with those nukes? I'll let, we'll, we'll sort it out. Let's do a deal. What do you need? What, what can we do? How, how can we? How can we help each other here? You know, I mean that's 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 America parlaying with people. You know, well, America no, doesn't no, parlay no, with no, people. No, that was the Chinese statement. There's been no response. To I that know from the U.S. But the fact that they say that, yeah, you know, means that there seems to be an opening, an opening for that to, to appear, and that opening has to be left politically or diplomatically by possibly by just a feckless, a feckless. Uh, Foreign policy, effectless Trump foreign policy, in the sense that it's no longer overtly my way or the highway. You know, uh, that uh, I think the best thing Trump could do basically would be just would be just to, to take a, a kind of to kind of have a feckless, yeah, like a a half-hearted foreign American foreign policy that would basically ruin the whole thing for for the deep state in that sense. You know, maybe he's decided that the best thing I can do is just mess this whole thing up by you know. Saying one thing, doing another, mm. you know, messing well, with their heads, basically. Mm. Saying what they want me to say and then, but then not following through on it, you know. 
maybe so you have to understand if what we talk about in terms of deep state and how entrenched they were in the US and how much they controlled everything, like the basically the military industrial complex uh, and the intel agencies and stuff, how they basically ruled the roost and they're this kind of immovable object. Well, if Trump finally got a got a clue about that and realized, holy shit, you know, I don't just I'm not just going to walk in here and be president. I'm not going to be the decider. What's the best I can do? And maybe he decided the best he can do is he has to he has to play pretty pretty dirty and pretty deep with these people, you know, in the sense of he has to, he can't just come in and start uh, giving orders. He has to play the game to some extent. But if you decide that you have to actually play the game with someone, you have to actually make like you are on board with these people, mm-hmm. but you're not really. How would that play out on the world stage? Mm-hmm. And what would we see? We would see a lot of chaos, a lot of kind of uh, contradictory statements, like a lot of kind of, you know, moves and that don't really make a lot of sense. While at the same time, some still, some stuff still progressing mm-hmm. because there's geostrategic interest. There's, there's, you know, natural resources interest and stuff that America has a right to, you know, imagine America was just like amongst uh, four or five major leading nations and there was no dominant nation. Imagine America was knocked off its perch as the world's only superpower. Imagine now there were four or five superpowers. Well, that doesn't mean America has to go home and say sorry for the last hundred years to everybody, right? America's going to say, well, okay, we're not top dog anymore, but we're still in the game. We're not just going to walk away from it. We're going to still fight for our, our piece of the pie, which is... Which is basically seems life, right? what, what Trump is doing. I mean, that's pretty much... Exp- he doesn't say it in so many words that, you know, America is uh, has lost its perch, but he essentially says that, um, you know... I, you know, I don't have any, any of his quotes on the top of my, on the tip of my tongue, but he he basically says that you know we want we want America to, you know, keep its position and you know keep its influence, and he essentially doesn't want to give anything away that he doesn't have to, and that's pretty much all you'd expect from any leader in any situation. I mean, you don't you don't just give away what you have. Right. You know, no matter how you've gotten it, that's just the, it's the status quo and, and any nation as a, you know, as a selfish nation, which is what, you know, yeah. most nations are, that's what they're going to do. They're going to want to keep what they have and potentially get more. And if they lose something, I mean, it'll be, it won't be because they want to lose it or because, you know, they haven't tried to keep it. But on the whole North Korea thing, I think there, there are a few interesting things that have happened. Um, and I think that was really uh, I think you pretty much nailed it, Joe, when you talked about the the whole, um, like when you're looking at it from the outside, you see all these contradictory things, but really behind the scenes, there's 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 reasons for why you see the contradictions and why the contradictions mm-hmm. exist. And there are a few examples, like, because we have seen Trump totally up the, the rhetoric and people are like, oh my God, is, is Trump going to like attack North Korea? But there are some signs that, uh, that that's not what's actually going on. And I think the first was a couple weeks ago. And someone in the Trump administration had like made a statement, like at either explicitly saying or hinting at the the idea that the U.S. would like um, basically shoot down the next missile test, or you know, any time that if, if North Korea you know had the audacity to to do another missile test, then the Americans were going to shoot it down, and that was going through the news for a while. And then there was, it might have been, in a, I think it was a CNN article where some anonymous you know U.S. military or State Department official, I can't remember which, clarified and said, oh, well, that would only be the case if it was like a nuclear-capable ICBM. 
And so the very next day, North Korea did a missile test, and it wasn't a nuclear ICBM. It was just, you know, I can't remember what it was, but um, they launched Ooh. this, and it was as if they were essentially testing this, um, you know, hint at what the real policy was. Oh, well, will the Americans shoot it down? Well, let's test it out and see what, what happens. And, of course, you know, the Americans didn't do anything about it. And then you had the whole Carl Vinson thing going on where Trump said, oh, you know, and the Vinson is going, is heading no, up to North Korea, and it turns out it's by, you know, it's by Australia, and it's, right. it's, it's going <laughs> it's, it's to engage in some drills. Well, you know, so I was, I was wondering what was going on there, and so far the, the, the analysis that makes the most sense to me was from uh, Peter Lee at NewsBud, and he made the point, like, he, he looked at all of the whole timeline of events and how, you know, when, when every little bit, bit of information was released, and... Because the one interesting thing was that the the reason the only reason that people knew that the Vincent wasn't going to North Korea is because the Navy itself had posted an image of it on their website, and saying, "Oh, here's the Carl Vincent, you know, off, you know, really close to Australia, and we're going to engage in some, you know, um, some drill or something that we had planned with, you know, some of our foreign partners," and Lee. Basically, he, what he thinks was going on is that the the guy that basically runs um, what's it called Pacificom or what's the the name for like um, you know there's Africom yeah. what's the one whatever the one is for the Pacific the leader of that the you know some some Navy admiral dude he was the guy that that essentially um, was commanding the the Vincent and determining where and when it would move he thinks that this guy um, just actually um, probably heard from from trump or whomever okay you got to go to north korea and he just said well no we're not going to north korea we're like we're gonna we're gonna stay here and do our um you know do our drills or whatever and he basically he just ignored the order and the, the reason he thinks that is that this guy is a total like china hawk this is one of the guys that wants war with china wants to totally you know bring china down and the 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 china war war hawk um contingent of the u.s military they don't want um, China or the U.S. to deal with China in any way that that makes China look good. So he thinks that basically when, when Trump had his meeting with Xi, that um, what Trump basically wants is is exactly what he said, to let China deal with it. Well, if China can solve the North Korea problem, then, we'll, then that would be great. And so with that going on, the 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 generals or the admirals don't really want to to um, they they want to do any they, they don't want to help that along they they don't want to help that process along they'd rather have uh, a more confrontational attitude towards the towards China and even North Korea and mm-hmm. but they but they don't want to to help Trump get along at all with China and then right. you see so if that's what's actually going on what Trump actually wants is for China to deal with it and China's like well you know okay we can do that maybe and so then you have this this UN resolution brought up by China that Russia now supports about like you guys said that um it would be like an exchange the or North Korea would you know roll back its nuclear program in exchange for the US stopping to stopping their um you know military exercises with South Korea now this is something that North Korea has been saying for years that that the uh, they've actually been open to that. They, they say the only reason that the that they have their nuclear programs is because of U.S. aggression and the drills with South Korea and the, the military exercises are 
one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, that they have the, and are developing their nuclear program. As a deterrent. As a deterrent. And that if, if the U.S. were basically to get out of South Korea and stop their military aggression there, as North Korea sees it, they wouldn't have any need for, for nuclear weapons. So mm-hmm. there's the possibility there that, um, you know, well, if the U.S. were to go along with this or let, just let Russia and China kind of um, do this and you know, implement the program and then the U.S. could kind of go along with it, that would actually work probably. There's a, well, there's a good chance it could work. Now, if you look at some, some of the things that Tillerson has said, is right around the time when there was all this war rhetoric going on and people were, you know, freaked out that North Korea was going to, you know, blow up South Korea and, and Japan and whoever else is around and that Trump was going to launch, you know, a military strike on North Korea. Then you had Tillerson come out with the new official State Department policy on North Korea and it essentially said, we don't, we're not interested in, war, in regime change. We're not interested in, in, in launching any military attacks on North Korea. We've determined that the, the best course of action is um, some sanctions and uh, negotiations, which is essentially the same strategy that's, that the U.S. has had for you know, the past 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, and then if you look at the, the, the sanctions that Tillerson actually proposed, it, was, it wasn't um, blanket sanctions on North Korea. It was targeted sanctions to people involved in the nuclear program. And um, mm-hmm. so, so individuals and you know, companies or industries directly involved in the nuclear program. Now, that might be something that China could get behind, you know, the, kind of these um, very specific sanctions. Just, I mean, it, like everyone probably knows that sanctions don't really work, and when they do work, it's it's just to ruin a nation. Like, look at what's going on in Syria. Look what went on in Iraq. Um, but the it's kind of more of a, um, just a statement. I mean, they're more symbolic, like, okay, we're going to sanction these, you know, these people for doing these things, and it doesn't really necessarily do much, you know, within the country in question. Mm-hmm. So you see, official U.S. policy now is basically we want to negotiate, and we we aren't out to totally ruin North Korea. Um, and maybe we'll, you know, we'd be happy if China and and Russia could use their influence to to somehow, you know, come up with a a non-military solution. Now, whether that'll, mm-hmm. that'll whether that'll happen or not, you know. Just remains to be seen, but that seems to be kind of the—I um, don't know if you'd call it like the rational or the like the kind of reason behind all these things going on—is that there are, um, you know, you've got to you've got to play up the the rhetoric for the right. hawks, and on, on the mm-hmm. other hand, you've got to actually deal with some pragmatic issues, um, you know, taking into account all these different sides. So I think mm-hmm. it's kind of too quick to say exactly. You know what's going on and what what will happen, but that seems to but be some of the things going the, on. What are you suggesting that Trump is pretending to up the rhetoric against North Korea to do what? To, well, to, to throw to, them a bone, to throw the deep state a bone. Well, and to you have to understand this deep state. Go ahead. Well, to yeah, yeah to throw to, to throw a bone, but also to come up with a solution. I think at the root of it, Trump really just wants to solve problems and then get accolades for them like if, if he could do something okay. if he could do something to if he could get like north korea to get rid of their nuclear weapons somehow even if it was actually china doing it right but that isn't the problem the problem in the region is the u.s military is parked there it's been the same old problem for 70 years mm-hmm. and of course as joe said they're not just going to go home 
How yeah. can Trump then solve that problem? He's not going to. But they don't. They don't necessarily have to go home. <clears throat> you yeah. know, uh, it's not about kicking America out. I mean, you have to. You know, you have to imagine a world where America was, you know, has its influence around the world. Maybe it's, it's progressively scaled back over a number of years, but it's going to take a long time. But in the meantime, um, you know, if you imagine a world where America is all around the world, like every other major country is all around the world, but it's basically has a different attitude, which is that it's no longer calling the shots, basically, and telling people what to do, and they have to do it immediately, or else we'll bomb the crap out of you, you know? That's, you know, obviously the logical or, or rational way or a way to transform America, the, the rational future for America, because there is no other option. And the problem is that you have this deep state that has been created and, and has become accustomed to having its own way. And it's like a rabid animal, basically. And you have to throw it some meat. You can't just go, OK, now, rabid animal, you be all nice now. No, they're like they're like frothing at the mouth and snarling. Kill, kill, you know, and basically... Uh, and and how do you, how do you tame something? Like that? Well, you can't just you can't just say no because it'll go bonkers, right? So you have to kind of throw it a bone. You have to talk big. You have to say, yeah, we're gonna get this and get. And they're all like, oh yes, thank God he's getting stuff, and you know we're gonna get some bloodlust out here and stuff. But at the same time, working within that and not taking it over the line where you actually, you know, make good on your threats. Because like we've been saying, America is. Uh, America's reputation, and those people in the deep state know it, America's reputation and their own sense of self is based on the idea of uh, America rules supreme. America calls the shots. America tells people what to do, and they they do it immediately or else. So you have to keep talking in that way to keep those people appeased while at the same time, you know, not, <laughs> not ruining the world and not ruining America, which anybody, any rational person coming to the White House would realize Listen, if we do what we've done, you know, if we go with the same policy of if you don't do what we say, we'll bomb the crap out of you, we're going to be bombed. We're going to be destroyed. There's not going to be a White House. There's not going to be an America. But these people are so nuts. They've been fed in a diet of warmongering and, you know, turkey shoots for so long that they don't understand it. They're nuts. These people are insane. And and, and it includes generals in the, in the military. What are you going to do with the, mil- with the military force that America has built up in this in the previous, you know, seventy years of of basically them being able to operate with with impunity and you know and the the belief that that fed the creation of the military, which was that we have to be around the world to basically dominate it all. What are you going to do with that massive military and all the people employed in it and all the generals who are schooled in the idea of USA, USA, USA? You know, we rule, we 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 rule the day, basically. I mean, you got to give them something to do, right? Uh you got to bring them down. It's like they're on drugs. You know, they've been hopped up on bath salts for like 70 years and it's just running through their veins and you can't just make them go cold, cold turkey, you know. You got to take them down step by step, which includes continued, you know, rabble rousing and bloodlust and yeah, chop the heads off people and, you know, go and slaughter everybody and, uh, in the name of peace, freedom and democracy and stuff. But, um, you know, and, and take try and take it down bit by bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I, I just I mean. wanted to add something to what Harrison was saying a couple of minutes ago, uh, and that was statements on the part of Rex Tillerson. Uh, I believe he was speaking before the U.N. Security Council um, when he mentioned that, uh, you know, it wasn't the U.S.'s intentions to um, try and uh, force uh, regime change in, in North Korea. Um, 
you know, there's a dynamic going on. He he basically kind of shooed uh, uh, vociferous, uh, mindless political hack Nikki Haley aside uh, from the UN Security Council for 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 the moment it took him to say, you know, look, all all options are still on the table. However, uh, calm down. Uh, we're, we're not about to start a war uh, with North Korea, and um, this was something. You know, I think it was a week ago, uh, Trump invited a hundred senators or so to the White House, uh, and and basically introduced one of his generals to inform them that no, uh, they weren't going to start a war with North Korea. Uh, so you know, everybody, uh, you know, calm down a bit. So this is what Trump does. I mean, he has this person on the front lines like Nikki Haley. Uh, who who is is like this deep state mouthpiece, whether she realizes it or not, says all the things that the neocons would love to hear in the venue of of uh, the UN Security Council. You know, speaks out against Russia. Uh, I think she's a perfect Syria. pick for that. If if that's if that's the case, she's perfect pick because not only is she right really pathetic looking, but if she believes if she is a kind of like you know, warmonger, America firster, then she's going to do it with, with conviction. You know, she's going to go to the UN and she's going to stand up and do it with conviction. Although she's, she's not very convincing, like, but she's going to believe it herself, you know, her, her personality aside. Uh, and, and if, if she is of that, of that nature and, and the people in the deep state know her kind of as one of their own type of thing of, of with the right attitude, then they're going to be happy that she was picked, you know, but, uh, if all she amounts to is basically going to the UN and holding up pictures of, you know, Syrian children, dead Syrian children and saying this is an atrocity, something has to be done. Well, then good job. You know, she, she serves that function, you know? Yes. She, but, she is the, the camouflage for what I think might be a more rational, uh, right. approach on the part of, of Trump. Um, right. And I mean, an example, the, th- the threat that Trump has to face, basically, if this is, if, if the way we're reading this is, is right, then the, the problem for him is the potential for these kind of deep state actors to do the kind of thing that they did in Syria, which I think was pretty much orchestrated by them to one extent or another with the chemical attack. Because that's a, you know, that's a classic kind of deep state operation, basically, where they carry out a, a terror attack. In, in a country and then blame it on the, the host country uh, in in advance of um, bombing the country and invading the country. Uh, of course, that's what happened in Iraq. You know, I mean, her her holding those pictures up was just reminiscent, very reminiscent of, of, of Colin Powell with a little vial of, of, uh, of what do you call it, the anthrax in 2003 at the UN uh, and he had pictures as well. So it was very reminiscent of that, but and of course, in 2003, that led up to a massive invasion of Iraq and destruction of the country. This time, it was like, you know, the contrast was shocking. It was like, you know, a bunch of cruise missiles fired at an empty airfield and then done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing that he has to be, I think, wary of and has to, I, I, would, I would hope, understands is that there is a potential for these deep, deep set actors to... Uh, create or engineer these provocations that then he is forced to respond to. Mm-hmm. Now, if that was the case in the Syrian chemical weapons attack, then he he um, he did pretty well, or the, his his administration did pretty well in neutralizing uh, that that one. You know, 
he went and he said, yeah, terrible. They crossed all my red lines. Nikki Haley goes to the UN. Oh, and the guys in the deep state are getting excited. They're saying, oh, she's at the UN. She's got the pictures. She's talking about crimes against humanity and dictators. We're ready to go. And then pew, pew. What? What the fuck was that? And everyone's you, cheering. That's it? Are you joking me? Huh? And everyone's cheering. And then it's just this damp squib, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they can do other things, you know? The same kind of people who shot down, you know, shoot down M817. Uh, they can do other things, you know? But, I mean, I think they're probably, they're probably finding it difficult of, um, in terms of coming up with ideas of what they can do next, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, too many people are wise to their, you know, other major countries that the U.S., that this deep state would, would like to attack or like Russia, China, and other major countries are, are wise to the to that maneuver. And if they don't have um, their, own, their own their own administration, as in a U.S. administration, who's uh, uh, who's backing it, well, then it's kind of difficult, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was just those 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 events over the past. If you put them together, you know, they're spaced out. But like as 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 you were saying, Neil, like the the you had Tillerson and, and Haley, Nikki Haley saying. Not interested in removing Assad. Chemical weapons attack. Oh, Assad's an evil man, blah, blah, blah. Then, pew, pew, Tomahawk cruise missiles. And then the next one, just as a as an afterthought or as a as a dessert almost, was let's drop that giant bomb in Afghanistan. Maybe that'll keep people. <laughs> what the hell was that about? Like, I mean, biggest bomb that they ever built that they've never <laughs> dropped before. And they go, now would be a good time for that mother of all bombs. <laughs> And they go and they push it out of the plane. It floats down and you know blows the crap out of you know a bunch of dirt more or less in in Afghanistan in this in a mountainous remote mountainous area of Afghanistan. And uh, and then and then it's once that's done, then it's okay. All change now. North Korea. What are we going to do about North Korea? <laughs> it's like what is going on with you people? <laughs> I mean, so yeah. Just to sum up, then you think Trump's. In some way, leading him on a wild goose chase. He's still trying, going around each each of the yeah. I mean, I think war theaters. I think I don't think it's unreasonable, and I think the best thing you can say about him and the people that he's gathered around him is that they still want to do business. They still want to do what's right for America, and there's no problem about using the military. And they realize that that the military is an industry that they have to service. You know, it's a massive military, and there's. How many, how many hundreds of thousands of jobs or millions of jobs technically if you go with subcontractors, subcontractors and stuff that are part of the military and you can't just what are you going to just take that away stop funding the military America go home dismantle the military and you lose what a couple of million jobs I mean no you've got to keep that going but how do you keep it going without for example you know wrecking the American economy or causing a, an attack on America or destabilizing the world further, that kind of thing. And how do we, you know, they, they have a vision of how America can still get its piece of the pie and a big chunk of the pie. They're starting off pretty well with military bases all around the world, all this influence. Um, they, they have good, uh, they have a lot of scope there to still get what they want, but they've just decided to say, listen, let's not just wreck the place, you know, because it's not going to happen. They, they've basically... And I mean, it's amazing that we're saying, yeah, you know, if someone actually came along in America and took stock and, and came, came into power in America who could, had the ability to, to take stock of actual facts, you know, that things have changed, you know, amazing. What a shocking thing to happen. Well, no, it's for, it, it should happen as a matter of course in, in a rational world, in, in a sane world. 
it's amazing that this is actually happening. We're saying we're calling it something amazing when it's actually something that's very simple and very basic. You'd expect everybody to be able to do it, right? I.e., you know, if you're the bully in the schoolyard for so many years, but then a new kid comes in and he's twice your size and he's got two hammers for fists, you know, that you don't go up and slap him in the face. You know, just that ability to say, okay, things have changed. I can't, you know, I can't rule and own and control everything every, anymore, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what's mine. But I'm going to take stock of facts. So I think it's just, but that's happening in the context of there being a lot of people around Trump in the deep state who are still, you know, immersed in this, in this world of America rule supreme. What we say goes. And if it doesn't, if, if anybody has the gall or the audacity to say no to us, well then we, we, we blow, blow the crap out of them. And the hell will consequences. But hang on, there will be consequences this time. No, there won't. Shut up. What are you talking about? We're America. Those kind of people, you know. I mean, imagine you came into power and, and, and had to run a country and all those people around you were just like, you couldn't talk to them. You couldn't actually get talk sensibly to them at all. You couldn't get a sensible response out of them. They were on a one-track mind. They were, they're just like, they're basically reality creators. I mean, you go back to Carl Rove and his reality creators. I mean, these people still think they that they can get whatever they want and what they want is everything. And all they have to do is just do what we've always done, which is just do it, like John McCain. Just create the goddamn no-fly zone. What's wrong with you? This is America. No-fly zone, that's what we do. Make the no-fly zone today. No, but uh, Senator, you see, uh, I don't want to say it publicly here, but we get our asses handed to us. What do you mean? We're America. We don't get our asses handed to us. What are you talking about? People like John McCain, they cannot conceive of that idea. It's almost like they have a mental illness where they can't conceive of a different reality where America does not rule supreme and gets its own way all the time. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with someone like that when they have influence and they have the potential to bring you down? How do you navigate those people? You become you an actor. Kick them all out of office, like, huh? You, you become an actor. You you say you say right. Assad is an animal. You invite yeah. uh, Graham and and uh, McCain over to dinner, and and mm. and, uh, and and tell them the things that they want to that they want to hear. Um, and, and I think to some great extent that's, uh, again, this is an optimistic point of view because I, I hold out, um, also some possibility that, you know, Trump might be going nuts, but, uh, I think a good argument could be made for the fact that he is saying, uh, the things that these people want to hear. hear and, mm. um, and saying it loudly and saying it in public and, mm. And of course, it's got a lot of his base up in, in an uproar um, because they would they would like to to hear Trump more. Uh, uh, speak sensibly and do sensible things. But they, you know, as you were right. saying earlier, Joe, they they don't have a grasp on exactly how big right. and mean and bloodthirsty and crazy like, this and this difficult. war machine is, and how difficult it right. is to steer the ship into this uh, in, into a, a more sane direction. So, uh, so, so we're seeing some very interesting things on the part of Trump and, um, well, there's, yeah, I'd say that the, at the, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, or even predict that Trump will be successful because I don't even, no. I'll even predict that he won't be, but what he has going for him, um, I think he's got, 
two things going for him. And one is kind of, it's visible in the statement he just gave in an interview where he said, we've got one of the images um, with a quote in the, in the show images today. Um, he, he said something like, um, being president isn't as easy as I thought it would be or something, something to that, to that effect. And essentially saying that, uh, it's a harder job than he thought. And we can see probably, or we can probably guess, you know, what he's talking about when he says that. Now, mm. The thing about Trump's personality um, is that, um, well, there's a, a biographer who's been kind of like a Trump biographer um, for a while, and she's got a video that she put out on Twitter recently talking about kind of the Trump mentality and how it started out with uh, with his father, and um, his father in New York started going to uh, Norman Vincent Peale's um, church, essentially, because he was a minister, and he was the guy that wrote um, the book, like, The Power of Positive Thinking. And she says one of the like one of the the Ten Commandments of Norman Vincent Peale is um, to basically see yourself as successful. And one of the quotes is something like, you know, take that image and stamp it indelibly onto your in your mind. And that seems to be the way that that Trump operates is that he sees himself as successful and kind of, in a sense, embodies that um, that success in his you know in his personal life and his business dealings now mm -hmm. they um now if you take that personality someone who who wants to be successful and sees himself as successful who comes up against these kinds of obstacles and sees and will admit that it's a tough obstacle the thing that that person has going for them is that they will they're they're not the kind of person to just give up and to totally capitulate, they're always going to be trying right. to be successful within the, you know, they're always going to be pushing the bar a little bit and trying to trying to win. And as long as that goal is at odds with the, you know, the obstacles they're up against, it makes for some, you know, entertaining, um, you know, TV because you see this conflict going on. Now, the and another thing that Trump has going for them is his goals, the things that he says he wants to do. And I'll just use two. One is, you know, the war on ISIS to defeat ISIS. And the other is, you know, currently to to fix whatever, you know, is going on in, in North Korea and get rid of North Korea's nuclear weapons. Now, if you look at both of those situations, they are parts of, um, let's say, a wider geopolitical, geostrategic game that's being played, um, a covert game that's being played. So, of course... Everyone knows that ISIS is evil and everyone wants to defeat ISIS, but what most people don't realize, even though it's publicly admitted in certain areas by, uh, you know, Moshe, Moshe Yalon in Israel and even John Kerry, you know, in those um, uh, recordings from his meetings with the, the Syrian opposition, that ISIS is essentially um, a tool of, of Western foreign policy. It serves another purpose. But the, the vast majority of people don't realize that. And of course, in China or in North Korea, there's the 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 whole um, you know U.S. presence in East Asia and the influence they have and how mm -hmm. that relates to dealings with China and all that. But because those are all covert, they're really irrelevant when it comes to the the realm of popular opinion. So let's just say theoretically that that Trump and it wouldn't just be Trump because he'd he'd probably take credit for things that other people are doing too. But let's say ISIS were, were defeated now. A caveat that wouldn't mean that ISIS would be defeated because there would still be, you know, renegade jihadis all over the place 
um, you know, not part of this, you know, semi-official Islamic state, but let's just say that ISIS is defeated in Iraq and Syria eventually. That would be a huge uh, win for Trump, even if even if the whole like deep state and all these parts of the intelligence agencies are really unhappy because it was useful to them. You couldn't get around that would be enormous and people would be like elated and overjoyed and Trump would have a huge amount of popular and political capital just based on that. Now, the same thing goes with North Korea. If North Korea were to get rid of their nukes and just that, you know, for whatever reason, with whatever concessions the U.S. makes, that would be huge. And mm-hmm. it would be something that could that couldn't be ignored, essentially. All, all the China hawks. W- wouldn't be able to come out in, in the open and say, oh, this is horrible that North Korea got rid of its nukes, right? They'd have to go along with it because it would just be such a public positive thing that there, you, mm-hmm. know, you have no choice but to, but to kind of get, go along with the, um, you know, the positive feeling that comes along with that. So in that sense, by, like, even just with these two goals, Trump has the, the, um, the possibility of, of basically living up to his image and becoming even more popular, and that that would be, um, I think, uh, like a dent in the in the the armor of the, mm-hmm. the of the people that that essentially don't want him to win, because mm-hmm. you you have to it, you're, you're caught in this position where your stated goal is to let's say defeat ISIS when you really really don't want that to happen, and now you actually have to kind of do it and make it happen. Mm-hmm. And once it does, you know, you can't turn back on that. It's, it's the official narrative now. And, and if you've won, then you have to be happy about it. And once you've lost ISIS, then it becomes, you know, a little harder to do what you actually want to do in Syria and Iraq. Of course, they'll come up with mm-hmm. all kinds of other things to do, but, um, there's just that it's the PR dynamic to it. And that's, that's mm-hmm. really what Trump is all about is PR. And you look at the mother of all bombs, I mean, it really, just like the strike on Shirat Air Base, it didn't really mm-hmm. serve any huge purpose, and, but it was the mother of all bombs. Think, like, right. Everyone knows about that strike because it was the biggest bomb ever, and it was dropped on Afghanistan. Right. What did it do? Well, no one really knows. And you know, the BBC went there and had a correspondent, and he was looking at the mountain, and he's like, oh, well, you can kind of see some of the trees that look like they've been like, burned and fall, fallen down, but, but the locals say mm-hmm. you know, there was a big blast, but you know, nothing really happened. Like that's the reality, but the what you see in the news is exactly what Trump wants you to see. Trump dropped the right. mother of all bombs, and that's right. all people will remember. And that was getting the media on his side. That was turning yeah. the media and forcing them to kind of the warmongering, uh, you know, that's inherent in the media that, that are effectively like an arm of the deep state. That was turning them to his uh, to his ser- to his service, basically uh, taking them away from bashing him for everything and. And he figured the only way he could get them on his side for a while was to basically do some uh, blow some stuff up, you know. But kind of like the media is like a bunch of bunch of people out of, in America at a, at a monster truck rally, you know. <laughs> so there's like explosions and things being crushed, and they all cheer. Uh, so give them some of that, you know. But the problem with this deep state is that they're basically. I'm pretty sure that their mentality at this point. I mean, all along they've had this idea of we just do whatever we want and it happens. We, we create reality because we have the power, and they 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 had that experience for quite a long time, but. Now with Russia and China and stuff standing up to them, they're they're getting very frustrated, and those people don't back down. They tend to go, <clears throat> they, they they come with the attitude of, uh, you know, I'm 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 freaking crazy, you know, I'll kill you, I'll kill myself just to kill you, you know, uh, I, I don't back down. It's like brinkmanship, you know. Those guys have this idea of they're like Cato. Yeah, basically, they're like, 
they're, they, they have this attitude of, you know, well, let's convey the message to Russia that we're willing to put all of our military and all of our missiles pointed at them with all of us with our, with a finger on the button and say, what are you going to do now, Russia? I'm, I'm going to push this button. I don't give a crap what, what you have to throw back at us. I'll push it. Are you going to back down or not? It's kind of like throwing the steering wheel out the window in a game of chicken, you know? Two cars driving each other in a game of chicken. Chuck, one, one person chucks the wheel out the window. The other, the other guy goes, holy shit, this guy's serious. He's not going to swerve because he doesn't have a steering wheel anymore. And they want to convey that image to, to Russia. That's what they think their Trump card is. Basically, you know, we'll just show them how freaking crazy we are. And then they'll back down. The goal always being these people have to back down because we don't know any other reality than people backing down. Our adversaries always backing down in the face of American power. And if we have to take it to the point of we're willing to destroy ourselves and the whole world to make you back down, you know, basically the, the kind of Trump card, assuming that no other country is as crazy as them, i.e. every other country wants to ultimately, or the leaders of every other country want to ultimately secure their own lives, let's say, because their lives, their lives would be in danger and, and the, the, the continuation of their country. Uh, they assume, well, that's their weakness because you know what? We don't care. We'll blow the whole place up. But kind of like Israel, you know, and the Samson option, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking, of, speaking of Israel, we can just tie the two together because uh, um, in the official uh, North Korean newspaper, there was like an op-ed or something, basically um, saying, well, because Israel had said something about North Korea, and then North Korea said... Lieberman. <laughs> yeah, Lieberman, Lieberman spoke up and said, you know, basically, yeah. Let's take care of North Korea. Um, and the last time Lieberman did that, the U.S. fired missiles at Syria the next day. So, yeah, but that's not likely to happen here. But, yes, go on. Well, so the, the, the Koreans' response. The North Korean response, well, well, Israel has tons of, you know, nuclear weapons, and they're not even uh, upfront about it. It's like, we have a, a legitimate reason for why we have our nuclear program. Look at Israel. And, um, of course, that's verboten. You can't talk about Israel's nuclear weapon arsenal. Yeah. Well, on the subject of Israel, uh, it was mentioned briefly earlier that uh, uh, Moshe Yalon, um, who uh, was the former defense uh, minister uh, and is now kind of forming his own um, campaign against uh, Netanyahu, uh, was speaking before a little group uh, in Israel, and um, he was videotaped saying that uh, that you know we have to be very careful about Syria. Right now, because there are there are so many different uh, contingents involved, and um, and you know we just have to be uh, we just have to be kind of firm about our our own red lines, and you know it, it's it's sometimes the case that we can't actually take sides because then uh, you know th- there'll be some kind of uh, backlash, but we do have our red lines. In fact, um, when uh, when ISIS accidentally uh, when uh, lobbed some missiles into Israel, they apologized to us. And, uh, and what a lot of observers have, have picked up on is the fact that, you know, who does ISIS apologize to ever for anything? Nobody. Yeah. Uh, which points to a, um, uh, some kind of relationship or understanding or cooperation on the part of the two entities. Um, and so... Uh, this is uh, he. He really put his foot in his mouth uh, in admitting this, and um, you know, next to that, you recently had um, the Syria's UN delegate, 
uh, what's his name, Jafiri. Jafari. Jafari yeah. speaking out uh, before the Security Council, uh, basically saying the same thing. Um, and uh, if if you all get a chance to watch this seven or eight minute video, it's absolutely surreal. I mean, he's basically calling Israel out on the carpet before the UN, and and uh, mm. firmly connecting um, Israel and and ISIS and saying that terrorism and Israel are two sides of the same coin. And, uh, you know, you have to imagine all the air being sucked out of the room as people were listening to this, because, of course, you know, if, if they have half a brain, they already know this already. And um, but what are they going to do or say if they're not already kind of corrupt or, or in the pockets of uh, of of this Western, um, you know, Israeli Western alliance, uh, then they they have to feel kind of helpless to um to to comment on it or or uh, <clears throat> or kind of agree with it because they they're just afraid. Well, what drives me what drives me bonkers is is the fact that it's so obvious and prosaic. You know, if you just, if people just remove the mainstream media <clears throat> or the propaganda that they've been subjected to for for so long, okay, maybe that's difficult. But just try and do it and stop believing the freedom and democracy in Israel. They only need democracy in the Middle East and Muslims are evil and stuff. And just look at look at this. Look at the situation as it is on the ground. I mean, you have Israel, a small little country in the Middle East, has its own uh, you know, reasons for strategic interests, basically, in terms of the Middle East and not having a big country that might not be inclined towards uh, you know, Israeli policy, policies towards Palestinians, for example. And that's been a major issue for Israel for a long time. And also... You know, securing uh, Israeli access to the natural resources in in the in the Middle East and its own natural resources off the coast and stuff, and you look at the situation and you look at where Israel is and where Syria is, they're more or less right next door, and uh, and then you see uh, Assad basically not being really being aligned with uh, with with Russia, not aligned with the West, not aligned with Israel, kind of antagonistic towards Israel, and then you have a bunch of jihadis coming in who try and overthrow the Syrian government, and what's Israel going to do? Going to go? Oh, because they're Muslims and they're jihadis, they're bad. No, no. But you see, those jihadis are trying to overthrow your enemy, the guy that doesn't like you. Well, oh, okay. Maybe we should support them then. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. But don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. So what do they do? Well, they just do it. They got of course the press into their hospitals and told everyone in Israel and internationally that ISIS fighters are coming over the border and we're repairing them and sending them back. Yeah. But they shouldn't tell, they shouldn't tell anybody because it's, it's, it diverges from the official story. But it's obvious, it's real politic, basically. You know what I mean? I mean, people just need to look at the world from the point of view of real politic. And that's what we keep stressing on the show over and over again. It's like, dispense with the, with the propaganda nonsense and just look at it from a practical point of view, allowing for the fact that these people in, in positions of power, in, particularly in Western countries, are all nuts. I mean, the Gulf, like the Gulf state you know, the monarchies and stuff, they're all just these puppet nutjob dictators and they're all in it for themselves. <clears throat> if you just try and interpret it, interpret the world and what's going on in the world politically and socially or the level of, of governments uh, from the perspective of these people are in it for themselves and they have no qualms, no, no kind of scruples, no real morality except what's good for me. So what's good for Israel in the Middle East? Getting rid of Assad. So who's Israel going to support? ISIS. Done. Next question. Why can't people just do that and get and move on? Because it it 
it manifests as that. It, it, you know, th- that is proven true over and over and over again. And, it, and as Neil said, it's even in the media. And this guy, Moshe Alon, uh, comes out and admits it as well. But what more do people need to just look at it from a very practical point of view, allowing for pathology and nut job and insane greed and no, moral, no morality whatsoever except what's good for me, what's good for my country, what's good, not even good for my country, what's good for me uh, or us as a group of politicians in this country. The whole world just kind of opens itself up and, uh, in a kind of a very understandable and explainable kind of way when you look at it from that point of view. But if you if you listen to the mainstream media, no wonder people are just turning away, not just from the mainstream media because they're full of nonsense, because they're contradicting themselves. Nothing they say makes sense anymore. Uh, I mean, but but no wonder people are turning away from, from the kind of fake news and, and the nonsense they receive in the media, but also because, uh, you know, what's going on in the world in general doesn't make any sense from the perspective of this official paradigm of East versus West, good guys versus bad guys, freedom and democracy against whatever, you know, evil dictators, just, you know, let that go and just look at it from the point of view of a group of people all fighting with each other, you know, and doing whatever they can to secure or to safeguard their own interests. And then it's pretty understandable. If not, not, of course, not very, uh, very nice or pleasant or wholesome, but understandable from that perspective. Well, I don't know if we want to move on a little bit. I just wanted to revisit our discussion for a moment um, of uh, last week's show, which was the French election, uh, where in the first round, um, it looks like uh, Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, and um, Emmanuel uh, Macron have... Uh, have taken the lead and are going to um, go into the second round uh, and final one um, of the elections. Um, so there's this guy, uh, Serge Galam, a French physicist, who says that the math supports a Le Pen victory. And uh, apparently this guy has a, a bit of a track record. He's... Um, He's uh, correctly uh, called the election race for the U.S. Um, and uh, had also Brexit, pre- predicted yeah. Brexit. And um, so he has this idea that um, there's this uh, phenomenon called differentiated abstention, uh, which is basically um, the, the difference between the, um, the vote uh, that people kind of say, the vote intention declared in the polls and the actual vote. And he says that the the difference is what could actually bring Le Pen into office. Um, So, you know, uh, (laughs) it's hopeful. Uh, It was one of the most delightful things I'd read all week on SOT. And, um, and I mean, I I guess we'll see. Uh, But uh, Le Pen has been uh, pretty smart about her, um, her campaign uh, she went to um, uh, a town, uh, which was actually Macron's hometown, um, where a where she visited a whirlpool plant, um, mm-hmm. where a lot of the jobs are going to get outsourced, I think, to Poland. Uh, so she stood, you know, in solidarity with these workers uh, who are going to lose their jobs, and uh, in the meantime, you know. Uh, Macron comes just a few hours later 
and is basically like, no, this is good. You know, globalization's good. You're losing your jobs is good. Uh, idiotic. And um, by the time he got there, people were booing him. So um, she's obviously pretty smart. And uh, and we'll see. We have a week to find out if... Uh, if it, the pen is mightier than the macaroni. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. No. Yeah, um it's uh, Macron is just a, I mean, an idiot, and the fact that they is this young guy who has no political experience, and he's just a, he's just a puppet if there ever was one, um, and I think a, a large percentage of um, a majority of, of French people know that. So, and I think in any fair election, my, Le Pen would win if if you know it wouldn't necessarily be the choice of all French people or even the majority of people who would vote. For Le Pen, it wouldn't be their choice to have to f- choose between Le Pen and Macron. But if given that choice, uh, which is kind of a forced choice, probably they, um, I think, a majority of people in France would will vote for Le Pen, <clears throat> um, because they see they see what Macron really is. They see, I mean, the guy is it's just ridiculous. The idea that he would be a viable or electable president of France, coming out of nowhere, being so young and having, you know, even his persona and his, his policies, his his policies basically are, are nothing. It's just like, you know, it's almost like a template for policies for a, for a pre- president of France, you know, or of any country, you know, what you're going to do. I'm going to do good stuff. I'm going to take money from here and give it here. And I'm going to, you know, increase the working week by one hour and then, but then give you a half a percent tax break. And, and, and I'm going to fund some tree planting organizations and I'm going to plant some trees myself. And, uh, I'm going to make France great again. That kind of thing. That's basically what his policies are. And it's like, dude, and compared to Le Pen's, which are really like, you know, at least they say something in the sense of like, she's got definite ideas, you know, that stuff that, and I think people want that. People want something in the same way people in America wanted something, want to change, want no more political nonsense, you know, just kind of like vague political statements that just don't, don't carry with them the notion of any change whatsoever. People want to change because they see that, that, the system is wrong and bad, and and especially after f- you know five years of Hollande, the the, the Jello man, basically, um, he uh, absolutely Le Pen would be a favourite for a majority of French people. And I mean, in response to what you were saying there, when he went to that uh, Whirlpool factory that makes uh, washing machines and other uh, home appliances, um, and there people have been on strike for for a while because they're planning to move it to Poland. Uh, recently, I think just today, uh, France <laughs> Macron came out and and showed his true colours. That I mean, it's ridiculous as well. I mean, it's another EU nation. He said that he wants to uh, his response now after he thought about it for about five or six days. He wants to sanction Poland for taking away our whirlpool jobs. Sanction them? What? Will we do it to Russia, right? Let's sanction Poland. No, I know, but that's in the EU. What do you mean? I know, it doesn't matter. We're going to do it. We did it to Russia, and it worked, right? People like a strong leader. Strong leaders sanction. Sanction people, right? I'm going to sanction Poland. Get that whirlpool factory back. He's just so, such an idiot, you know. He has so no he's clue just, what he's doing. He, he basically is just trying to uh, up, say the right step, thing. Uh, Le Pen. Yeah, he's trying to sound. This is and that's an example of of his true nature. He's 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 finally figured out that he really needs to sound like he has some backbone. He has some you know political or or other gravitas, basically, which he does not whatsoever. You know, uh, because he sees Le Pen has that. Uh, but he, um, it, unfortunately, he doesn't wear it very well. He's like a 
he's even got um, apologies to anybody who has this, but he's got that space between his front teeth as well. And it just makes him look like a, like a kid, you know. Uh, and it's just whatever. I don't know. Um. Yeah, so I reckon I don't know. We'll be we'll be here next week when it's going going down, and we might have the first kind of results roughly in. We might do a longer show or whatever just to see uh, if we can uh, get get a a beat on what's what's it like what's likely to happen. But um, I don't know. It would just be terrible if Mac- if Le Pen wins. I mean, there'll be a really at least from here. Where we are, there'll be the loudest kind of laugh that you ever heard it like around the world, you know, kind of thing, you know, um, because it would be hilarious if, if Le Pen won, you know, after after all the stuff that's, that's said about her and uh, her effectively, the, the Front National, her party kind of being created to some extent or facilitated way back uh, uh, 30, 40, 30 years ago um, by the establishment to act as a kind of like an example of... Uh, of why everybody in France should always vote for establishment parties because the Front National, because they are there. Look at them. You know, you need to you need to have that that supposed mirror image of democracy held up for people to, to to take a quick glance at every time they go to the polling booth. You know, to say, oh yeah, better not vote for her. So vote for the establishment. You know, mm-hmm. that that's been I suppose the role of um, Le Pen. But the problem is that you know, as corruption and and the state of the world has has gone down. Corruption has increased, and the state of the world has gone downhill. And in, in developed countries over the past number of years, uh, the problem is that that uh, that party that you're never meant to vote for is now looking pretty attractive for a lot of people. And they're like, "Oops!" <laughs> and they're just the whole media is across the board like, "Never Le Pen, never. Why? Well, just never. But 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 what if she's saying makes shut up? Never Le Pen from National. What do you want? Are you Nazi? Don't even think about voting it." Don't even read their. Don't don't you go to their website. In fact, don't you mention her name. Uh, it's just ridiculous. I mean, they're really protesting too much. The media at this point, and they're actually they don't realize it. And this is the delusion of these kind of people who are just caught in their own little echo chamber. They don't realize that by insisting so much that people should never ever vote for the Front National. Eventually, when you do that long enough, as they have been, people start going, "Well, why?" I mean, it's a pretty simple psychological kind of a. Uh, um, you know, kind of trait or, or idea, you know, that if you repeatedly tell someone <laughs> not to do something, that eventually you start wondering why you keep saying that and is there something I should be looking at uh, in the thing that you're not t- telling me I should not do? Like, don't push that red button. Don't ever push the red button. Uh, you know, I'm going to push the red button one so after the 50th time, you know, because you just made it so interesting to me. <laughs> I mean, you keep talking about the red button. What's so good about it? What's so interesting about it? Well, maybe we'll find out. Yeah, you never know. It'll be fun times one way or the other anyway, so... All right, well, I think that's a, as good a place as any to end the show unless we had any final thoughts or stories. No, I think that's bring up. All right. So, yeah, thanks for... Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, we'll be back next week with our special French election special, potentially, <laughs> if it's yeah. in time or not. But if not, we'll have something else to talk about. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Everyone, take care. See you next week. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye.